Good morning. I don't know about you, but maybe you want to just stand up for a second and stretch your feet, stretch your legs. I don't know, you've been sitting for a while to get the blood circulating. All I'm really trying to do is help you not fall asleep while I start talking. That's, <laughs> you can be seated. I can do some jumping jacks, you betcha. You can have a seat now. Some of you might not recognize me. I, I'm usually not allowed outside of my cage. Um, but when the subject matter came up today, thou shalt not kill, Aaron left town. He said, I don't want anything to do with that. Ben said, not me. Ryan's down there. He says, nope, let the guy out of the cage do it. So see what he gets, kind of mess he gets himself into. I mean, really, think about it. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. You take that one. <laughs> so here's the deal. Thou shalt not kill. Don't go killing people. All right? You got it? Don't go killing people. You got that? All right. We're done here. Let's go. Nope. Unless there's more to it. There's a possibility that there's more here than what meets the eye. I want to suggest to you that commandments are like rules. And if you become a good rules follower, you take some sort of pride in not being in the guilty category. Right? So, didn't kill anybody today? Yep. Okay, I'm good. Didn't commit adultery today? Yep. Okay, I'm good. Didn't steal anything today? Yep. All right. I'm good. I'm, boy, I'm a good person. I am just following those rules, keeping those commandments. I, God must really be proud of me. I mean, really, when's the last time you worshipped a golden calf or pulled a gun on somebody? I think the problem with living a life under rules and commandments is that sometimes compliance comes with defiance. It's like when you tell a child, don't, what do they want to do? They want to do. You say don't, and they say, I do. It reminds me of the story, I'm sure you've heard it, a little boy who was told by his dad repeatedly, sit down. He wouldn't sit down. Sit down down. He won't sit down. Finally, the dad goes up to the boy, forcibly sits him down on his chair and says, see, that's how you sit down. And the boy says, you know what he says, don't you? I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. He got compliance, but there was defiance. There There was rules following, but there was no change of heart. Other times, compliance comes out of fear instead of out of understanding. We used to have this big black lab named Jake. He was a 100-pound dog, just massive dog, sweet as could be, but just had no sense of his personal presence. And one day, oftentimes when we would come home and pull up into the garage, Jake would be sitting right there at the door unless he got himself into trouble. He's not at the door, something's up. Usually, it was the loaf of bread on the counter that we'd left accidentally that wound up missing, and he's already at the back door waiting to be escorted out because he knows he's in trouble. So that big dog, one day, we had our little nephew and niece over, and the nephew happens to be also named Jake, and again, his big presence lumbering around and pushing little Jake around, and finally Teresa says, Jake, sit! And little Jake, boom, hits the ground, immediately in tears, right? She got compliance, but it was out of fear. There's no real understanding of why am I being told to do this. 
So we can follow rules without understanding. All that being said, let's talk about this commandment, thou shalt not kill, right? First, a little context. This comes straight out of this week's headlines. New York gun incidents up 29%. Atlanta homicides up 27%. Philadelphia homicides up 31%. Now, if you just stop there, you'd think that at every street corner there's somebody just about ready to take you out. Like it's unsafe to walk our own streets. But look a little more closely at some numbers by the year. 2016, homicides by, uh, by 100,000, 5.39. I don't know how you kill a .39 person, but... 2017 went down a little bit, 5.32 per 100,000. 2018 went down a little more, 4.96 per 100,000. How many people in northwest Arkansas? A number. 400,000? Let's say half a million. What's that? Five, six people killed a year? Doesn't seem like a rampant problem, does it? Whatever your opinion of the media and its motives, it seems abundantly clear that there is no massive killing spree taking place in most of our streets. Generally speaking, we stopped killing each other. So why is this commandment so important? There's some people that suggest to us that the whole reason the Ten Commandments were given were to bring civility out of a mob of people. I think God had a larger plan in mind. Why would God tell us to stop killing each other? Unless there was some massive crime wave as Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt for 40 years, and I kind of don't think that's the case. There has to be a deeper reason. That Hebrew word kill, sometimes translated in your Bibles as murder, is a very nuanced word. It has a wider range of meanings, including things like destructive activity, including things break, it, in, it implies breaking, like throwing up against rocks, dashing to pieces, slaying, killing, and murdering. When we were kids growing up, we grew up saying the saying, you know it, I'll let you finish it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... And how many of us believe that's true? Nobody believes that's true. We all know that's completely not true. We all know that our words have the every bit as destructive ability and intent. They can break people. They can dash people. They can cut people to pieces. They, in effect, kill and murder with arguably as much devastation as a bullet. Who among us, can you just imagine what it takes for a person to willfully purposefully snuff out the life of another individual. I, I can't imagine what it takes to put somebody in that place. Who among us can imagine that? And yet, how many of us willfully and purposefully engage in the kind of verbal behavior that is every bit as destructive? Breaking people, cutting them into pieces, slaying them. Not I, you say. Let's take a test. Have you ever started a sentence with, 
Well, I don't know if this is true, but I heard... Well, what is that? That's simply gossip. That's rumor-mongering. Or how about this? Well, bless their hearts, but they just... Fill it in, right? Some, some of you know we moved here from New York City, and, and you probably first think about New Yorkers as they're very rude and straightforward and in your face. And you know what they would say to us? Yeah, we are. But we know what you Southerners mean by, well, bless your heart. <laughs> right? They've translated that already. Right? Or how about somebody saying, you know, I'm sure they're a nice person, but I just don't like the... What, what, what is that? That's just slander at its beginning stages. Or maybe you've just some, sometimes just told an outright lie about somebody. What does it take to stop being that kind of people? You know where you can see that kind of behavior right in your face? You know. Where do you see people saying stuff like that all the time? Facebook. And I know it makes me officially old saying Facebook in front of young people. I heard today that if you're on Facebook, young people think you're old. So, sorry, I'm, I'm old. People will say things with the tips of their fingers they would never, ever dare say with the tip of their tongue. Social media provides just enough cover that people lose all sense of inhibition and all sense of civility among each other. It used to be that I could hang out with my friends. We'd sit around the table and talk about politics or whatever, any issue we could want to talk about. And we would have disagreement. We would go back and forth. We would talk to our faces. You might get intense. But you'd walk away friends. Not anymore. Now, we post the most vile and vitriolic hate on each other's, quote, friend page. Who talks to friends like that? Certainly not to their face. So what does all this have to do with thou shalt not murder? I want to suggest to you that you get to murder by first dehumanizing somebody. Murder is the ultimate act of dehumanization. For me to reach the point where I can snuff out your life, I must have reduced your life to a level of insignificance that I don't even consider you human anymore. It's the way humans have oppressed each other for Forever, we take each other out because we deem those other people not quite human. And I don't have to go through our world history to convince you that you know that's already true. And yet most murders are between people who know each other and in some cases used to love each other. I know there are one-off robberies and there are assaults, but when one spouse is found dead, guess who the primary suspect is? The other spouse. So ask yourself this. How could someone take the life of a former friend, neighbor, or spouse? And I want to suggest to you that it's not a far reach. It's not a long jump between writing somebody off in your mind because of their politics, their gender, their race, their place of birth, their favorite football team, their sexual preference, whatever it is. You fill in the line. And it's not a long distance between there and dehumanizing them. And essentially, you could just as well say, you're dead to me. How's that any different? 
as I was writing that very paragraph, I got a phone call from a golfing buddy of mine. And uh, he was a little upset because one of our other golfing buddies called him up and they'd had some big spat. And he said, you're just a waste of space. That's dehumanization. You're not even human to me. You're just an empty waste of space. Maybe that's why Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now read very carefully what Jesus did not say there. He didn't say, as I have tolerated you, so must you tolerate each other. That's political correctness. There's no kind of political correctness that breaks the walls of human hatefulness. Tolerance falls well short of the standard of love one another as I have loved you. He didn't, neither did he say, at least try to keep from killing each other. He didn't say that. He has a higher bar. He said, love one another. And there, to me, is why we have a new covenant. See, the old covenant was all about rules. And if we had been able to keep those rules, we wouldn't have needed a new covenant. We wouldn't have, because we broke all those rules. Like it or not, every commandment, all ten of them, every one of us in here, broken them. One way or another. Either actually or as Jimmy Carter said famously, in my heart. Right? That's why we need a new covenant. We can't keep the rules. We're not good enough to be able to check off those marks to say, look God, how good I am. I'm keeping these. That's why he sent a Savior. Jesus issued this new command. Here's what's really interesting about this command. If you read the entire chapter... In this chapter, this is where Jesus announces he's about to be betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter with the result that he himself would be murdered. See, the antidote to hate and vitriol that results in murder is not a new rule and it's not tolerance. It's not even any kind of enforceable command. It is instead a mandate that can only take root in our hearts. You can't force compliance to this new commandment to love one another. You can't force it through fear, and you can't force it through defiance. You can't make me love you, and I can't make you love your neighbor. Jesus knew that Judas was about to be instrumental in the torture and execution that was going to result in his own death. And yet he said, love one another. Jesus knew that Peter... His close friend Peter was about to deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. And he said, love one another. I wrote something a few years back that some people, when I first wrote it, thought I was a little crazy. I want to suggest to you, it's harder to remain friends with somebody than it is to remain married. What? What are you talking about? Let me put it to you this way. When you marry, you make a public commitment 
to another person in front of friends and family. That public vow creates a great deal of social pressure to help you keep that command. It's why we marry in the context of fellowship, because the, the community helps us stay together. But if all we are is, quote, only friends with somebody, you can unfriend them, you can unlike them, you can walk away from them, you can change churches, you can simply undo whatever effort has gone into that relationship and just walk away. It's too easy. Friendship is hard. Loving people, because when they start to get on your nerves and irritate you, is a challenge. It's too easy simply to walk away. Love one another, Jesus said. Stop killing each other. Stop slaying each other with your words and do it the way I did it. How did he do it? Back to that chapter in John. You know what he did? In this same chapter, the one where he tells people, tells his disciples he's going to get betrayed, he's going to get denied. Do you know what Jesus did? He washed their feet. The creator God of the universe stooped down low to wash the dusty, dirty feet of his followers. So I'm going to tell you this. You want to prove to the world that you're a follower of Jesus? It's not by being the best rules follower. It's not by being the squeaky cleanest of us all. There are a lot of, quote, good people who never darken the doors of any church. Nice, giving, wonderful, happy. That doesn't prove that you're a follower of Christ. He says here, you want to prove to the world you're one of mine? How about let's love one another? How about let's truly love one another? Just to be clear, Jesus didn't let Judas off the hook. He let him face the consequences of his choices, but he loved him. Jesus didn't let Peter off the hook. Peter suffered the agony of knowing of knowingly denying his friend, his leader, his Lord, yet Jesus loved him. Loving doesn't necessarily mean we have to let hurtful people into our lives in the way that they continue to hurt us. That's not love, that's codependency, right? Loving people does mean that we let hurtful people know that because we love them, we cannot accept or excuse their harmful behavior. Now, whatever you think you just heard me say, listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everyone in your life with whom you have a relational problem is the person at fault and that you're doing them some kind of big favor by saying nice to them and loving them. You might be the problem. I might be the problem. I am saying that when there is conflict between those in your life that you love, that you work with, that you live near, that you play with, when there is conflict between you and them, don't simply wash your hands and walk away. Do what Jesus did. Wash their feet. Serve them. Find a way to bridge the gap. Now, if you're listening closely to that verse, it sounds a lot like this one in Mark. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. 
And then there's Matthew 5. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's not enough to love the people you already love or those who like you. Anybody can do that. You love the ones that betray you. You love the ones that deny you. You serve the ones that you think you're actually a little bit better than. You love with action. Love is not shallow. Love is not easy. Love is not cheap. It costs everything for Jesus to demonstrate his love for you and for me. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel is that there is one who took the penalty of our malicious, rumor-mongering, gossiping, hateful behavior upon himself so that becoming like him would convince a hateful world that, yes, he can change hearts. He does change hearts. He is a remedy for a broken and selfish world. Thou shalt not kill. You get it? The current climate that we live in is so hot. It's so like a fire ready to erupt. Say the wrong thing to somebody. Mention the wrong topic. Disagree just a little bit with somebody. They call it cancel culture, I hear. I think all of us have been guilty of cancel culture at one point or another. You've got to make effort. We've got to demonstrate to the world. You want these walls, these doors to be pounded upon by people who would never come through these doors? Demonstrate the love of God to each other. Love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to close your eyes for a second and so the invitation is, is, is always first to the person out there who has, has never crossed that line to say, that's me. I need that one to come and rescue me from myself. That's the first invitation. That invitation is, if you not come to that place where you recognize, I've been trying to follow rules. I've been trying to be a good, clean, squeaky person. I can't do it anymore. It's not in me. You're right. There is one who did it for you. He invites you to start a new life with his life in yours that produces the kind of love that can do exactly what we're talking about. But the second invitation is to most of us in here who've already made that transition. Most of, in, most of us in here, you can picture the face of at least one person in your life it just didn't go the way you wanted. It just got ugly. They hurt you. You hurt them. And now here we are. You want to demonstrate to the world that you truly have the love of Christ in your life and in your heart. Make it right. Make it right. Father, we acknowledge that It's too easy for us to simply want to follow a rule so that we can check off a box of obedience. It's much harder to let our hearts be transformed. We ask God that you would break our hearts 
so that we stop doing the kinds of things that the world sees as being hypocritical, saying one thing with our mouths and then demonstrating another thing with the very same mouth. Teach us to love one another as you have loved us. Teach us to serve one another as you have served us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.